Thank you very much. Tonight I want to talk about a very important subject indeed. Something that a lot of people don't understand. And that is repentance. Many people think that repentance is a work. Well, of course, it's not a work. It is an act of obedience, which is quite a different thing. So if you will be turning in your Bibles to Judges chapter 2, starting at verse 14, we find some lessons from the Bible about repentance. That's Judges chapter 2 and verse 14 continuing. And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he delivered them into the hands of the spoilers that spoiled them. And he sold them into the the hands of their enemies round about, so that they could not any longer stand before their enemies. Nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges which delivered them out of the hand of those that had spoiled them. And yet they would not hearken unto their judges. But they went a-whoring after other gods, and bowed themselves unto them. They turned quickly out of the way which their fathers walked in, obeying the commandments of the Lord. But they did not do so. But they did not so. And when the Lord raised them up judges, then the Lord was with the judge, and delivered them out of the hand of their, of their enemies all the days of the judge. For it repented the Lord because of their groanings by reason of them that oppressed them and vexed them. And it came to pass, when the judge was dead, that they returned and corrupted themselves more than their fathers in following other gods to serve them. And to bow down unto them, they ceased not from their own doings, nor from their stubborn way. This, in a few sentences is the whole account of the book of Judges. It is a story of sinning and repenting, and it is a picture of the church and the Christian in a state of deep decline. And it is a decline all the more deep and dark because it followed a condition of the highest spiritual blessing. It came not as the wandering in the wilderness did after their deliverance from Egypt, It came after Israel's victorious entrance into Canaan and their enjoyment of the life of victory and the fullness of God's blessing. Consider this. How long does it take someone to pay off a mortgage for a home? Quite a long time, or a business. The word mortgage is from the French mortage, and it means a death debt, a debt until death. You work hard for your home, for your business. And yet the ancient Israelites, all they had to do because of God's blessing was just walk right into homes, into vineyards, into businesses. It was handed to them, given to them by God. Yet still that wasn't enough. Its historical parallel is the story of the Dark Ages in the history of Christianity when for centuries the church sank into apostasy and worldliness, and for a thousand years the light of truth and holiness was almost wholly blotted out. And after, and this was after the account of Pentecost and the light of the apostolic days. Always there was a remnant that did not bow the knee. But it has its individual parallel in the experience of the child of God. 
For when after baptism he falls back into spiritual disobedience and then returns to a life of sinning, he is once again repeating the mistakes of Israel and so many that came after. To ignore the blessings that God has given them. To turn their back on their repentance of their sins. To go back into that very thing which separated them from God. It is a far sadder experience because of the light and the power he has known before. And the lessons of this book may well warn every one of us to give all diligence to hold, as the Hebrews writer says in chapter 3, verse 6 of that letter, hold fast the beginning of our confidence and the rejoicing of our hope firm unto the end. Let us look into two fine examples of God's dealing with sinful people. First is the account of Othaniel, one of the judges of the book, and he's there in Judges chapter 3, verses 7 to 11. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and forgot their Lord, and served Balaam and the groves. Therefore the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he sold them into the hand of Cushrashatan, king of Mesopotamia. And the children of Israel served him eight years. And when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, the Lord raised him, the Lord raised up a deliverer to the children of Israel who delivered them. Even Othaniel, son, the son of Kenaz, Jacob's younger brother. And the spirit of the Lord came upon him. And he judged Israel and went out to war. And the Lord delivered Cush and Ishatham, king of Mesopotamia, into his hand. And the land had rest forty years, and Othaniel, the son of Kenaz, died. The next is the story, the account of Ehud, in Judges 3, verses 12 to 30. And the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord. And you're seeing this pattern. They do evil, God sends a redeemer, everything's good for a while, and then again they backslide into their former state. And the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord strengthened Eglon, king of Moab, against Israel. Because they had done evil in the sight of the Lord. And he gathered unto him the children of Ammon and Amalek. And went and smote Israel and possessed the city of palm trees. So the children of Israel served Eglon, the king of Moab, eighteen years. But when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, the Lord raised them up a deliverer, Ehud, the son of Gera, a Benjaminite, a left-handed man, a man left-handed, and by him the children of Israel sent a present unto him. And he was sitting in a summer parlor, which he had for himself alone. And Ehud said unto him, I have a message from God unto thee. And he arose out of his seat. And Ehud put forth his left hand, and took the dagger from his right thigh and thrust it into his bowels. And Ehud escaped while they tarried and passed beyond the quarries and escaped unto Serath. And it came to pass when he was come that he blew a trumpet on the mountain of Ephraim and the children of Israel went down with him from the mount and he before them and he said unto them, Follow after me. For the Lord hath delivered your enemies, the Moabites, into your hand. 
And they went down after him and took the fords of Jordan toward Moab and suffered not a man to pass over. And they slew of Moab at that time about 10,000 men, all lusty and all men of valor, and there escaped not a man. So Moab was subdued that day under the hand of Israel, and the land had rest fourscore years. Now as we examine these two incidents, following each other in direct succession, let us see how they illustrate the progression of evil at the same time as the progression of grace on the part of God. We cannot fail to notice here the aggravation of repeated sin. We read in the seventh verse that the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. And then we read on in the twelfth verse, the twelfth verse that the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord. So their repentance didn't last terribly long, did it? Just long enough to forget the consequences of their sin. But the effects of their repeated sin were much more serious than in the first instance. After the first disobedience, we are told that God sold them into the hand of the enemy and they served him for eight years. But in the second instance, the Lord not only gave them into the hand of their enemy, but we are told that the Lord strengthened Eglon, the king of Moab, against Israel. And this time they served the enemy, not eight, but 18 years. Here we find God working on the side of their enemies and giving them power to afflict his people. And we see the effect of their continuance in sin. And that effect is to prolong the period of their chastisements and to fix the habit of evil until it became almost permanent. It is an awful truth that even men wax worse and worse and the power of sin to hurt us and to hold us increases with every reputation. It's like when you have a plaster, elastoplast, I think you call it over here on your arm, and the more times you pull it off, the easier it gets to fall off, the less effective it is. And that's the same with sin. The more often you do it, the less bad you feel about it. And before you know it, it's like, it's like nothing at all to you. It's just normality to you. But it's not normality to God. You see, it was not merely that God had prolonged their captivity by his will, but it seems as if they themselves had been so paralyzed by their sin and judgment that they did not even think of turning to him for 18 years. 18 years it took for them to turn to God the second time. It would seem as if God always listened to them when they cried unto him, but the saddest effect of their sin was that they even forgot his former mercy and failed to lift up to him their penitent cry. You know the most ancient inscription of Hebrew that has been found has been found in the desert of the Sinai in a jade mine built by the ancient Egyptians. This was during the time when Israel were enslaved in Egypt. And there's a small inscription found there, and it's clearly very early Hebrew. And what it is, is what it's saying in Hebrew, what it's saying in English to translate it is, God, do not forget us. But they forgot him. How easy it was. Over against their sin, how marked the mercy of our long-suffering God. 
the moment they turned to him in prayer and repentance, he heard their cry and sent them help. He sent them a deliverer time and time again. How striking is the expression. And when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, he raised them up a deliverer. His mercy was instant. And his deliverance was complete. And this happened again and again and again. And still they didn't learn the lesson. And then when he restored them from their captivity, the duration of the blessing was in proportion to the length of the judgment. When he saved them from the captivity of the king of Mesopotamia, Cush and Atham, eight years long, he gave them rest for 40 years. And when he saved them from the captivity of Eglon, 18 years long, he gave them rest for 80 years. It would seem as if the mercy was graduated in a scale of progression in contrast with their sorrows and their sin. The days of blessing were more than four times as long as the days of punishment and pain. Is there anyone that can read those lines who is looking back to some dark chapter of backsliding and spiritual loss in our own lives? Take comfort then from the story of Israel's sin. And then turn to God in true-hearted repentance and in true-hearted obedience. Because he says, I will restore to you the years that the locust hath eaten, the canker worm and the palmer worm. My great army that I sent against you. Joel 2 verse 25. How beautiful to observe the story of Simon Peter. That when the Lord restored him after his threefold sin. He gave him a threefold blessing. And a commission as if he would put a mark of honour over against every scar that the disciple had brought upon himself. He will make us glad according to the days wherein he has afflicted us. And the years wherein we have seen evil, Psalm 90 and verse 15. Yes, such is the mercy of Almighty God, our loving Creator. But oh, how much better and sweeter the grace of God, which is able to keep us from stumbling in the first place, to preserve us blameless unto the coming of the Lord, First Thessalonians 5 and verse 23, and to present us faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, Jude 1 verse 24. There are some further lessons to learn in connection with these, with these incidents. These incidents that are well worthy of our careful attention. You see, we read the Bible. We need to apply it to our lives. We need to take courage and joy from what we read. Because we read of how when people turn back to God, he restores them. How he blesses them over times when they were persecuted. We see how faithful God is, that he does not allow his followers to fail forever. He will be with us no matter what we face in our lives. But instead of waiting eight years or 18 years or a whole lifetime, instead of waiting till the end, we need to wait no longer than the knowledge of knowing that we need to be with them immediately, that we need help immediately. You will notice how all through this period, the people were dependent upon human leaders, however. Indeed, this scene, this seems to have been their bane all the way through. They were faithful to God as long as Joshua lived. But they have no direct dependence upon Joshua's God. 
Theirs was a reflected greatness derived from the circumstances and the people that surrounded them. And so they were true to God while their judge led them on to victory and ruled over them afterwards. But when he died, their heart, like the sapling that has been only bent, springs back again to its natural willfulness. And as the writer has so well expressed it, they cease not from their own doing, nor from their stubborn ways. They went a whoring after other gods and turned quickly out of the way their fathers walked in. Judges 2 and verse 19. Constantly, there's this terrible backsliding. And here we see a whole, the whole root of bitterness. A superficial experience influenced by persons and circumstances while our natural heart still remains and we are not personally united to the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not rooted in the word of God but rather rooted after the will of men. The promise of the gospel, thankfully, is not that we shall have Othaniels and Ehuds, Joshuas and Calebs to lead us, but that Almighty God himself leads us. In Jeremiah 31 and verse, four, verse 34 we read, I'm sorry, I've lost my place. Where is it? Here we go. <laughs> the Bible's a big book and it's a good one. It's good to dig. That the Holy Spirit be poured out upon all flesh. And we shall not need to teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know him, from the least even unto the greatest. We are therefore to look for our spiritual types, not in the condition of the people at this time, but in the spirit of the leaders. These men were passions of what each of us may be today, totally reliant upon the Lord our God. In Othaniel we see, according to the literal meaning of his name, the lion-hearted man. Here we see the man of faith, the man of holy courage that puts his total dependence upon God and not upon man. We have heard of this man before. It was he who at Jacob's challenge had dared to assault the stronghold of Kirjat Sephir in Judges chapter 1 verse 12. And as a reward for his victory, won the hand of Akesh, the daughter of Caleb, whose very name means grace. I like to think of that. That's a lovely thought, isn't it? This lion-hearted man who had faith in God, through his faith and application of God's word, received grace for his goodness, for his obedience. And with her he received a diary of special grace and blessing. Othaniel stands for the faith which in the very first teachings of our Christian life dares to take the victory and receives the fullness of grace for ourselves. And then later, afterwards, when others need our help, we are prepared, willing and able to lead them into the same victory which we have won through Jesus Christ our Lord. Understanding our total dependence upon God. And there is a story back of every story. There is a life behind every public record of triumph and distinction. The Othaniel who led Israel to victory against the mighty emperor of the east was not the creation of a moment. He was not the accident of a great occasion, but he was the outgrowth and development of a long past history. 
when as a young man he met the crisis hour of his own life and dared to believe God and overcome his enemies in the strength of God and to win the blessing which enabled him now to meet the greater occasion and to stand as the first of Israel's judges and conquerors of the enemies of God. You would imagine after being oppressed for eight years by the king of Mesopotamia, they would have thought, that's never happening again. We're never turning against the God of our fathers again. The gods of the land which we came in and took over, they did nothing for us. But no, they forgot. They went back after those gods. They went back after their interests. You see, they came before God. And we must apply this to our own lives today. Because anything that comes before God is an idol. Anything at all. That's something that must be repented of. We must turn away from it. It does not matter if that God's name is, is Baal or money or the game. What matters is, is that we have put something before Christ. And that's just not good enough, is it? That's missing the mark, isn't it? And so there comes to each of us a moment when we meet life's issues all alone. And we stand true and triumph over self and sin. But God's mark is placed upon us and he puts us aside for the day when we would need a brave leader and a chosen instrument for some of the great occasions of the world's history. And it would be found true again as it ever has been true that the Lord hath set him apart that is godly unto himself. Psalm 4 and verse 3. As we look to the other incident of Ehud, the king of Moab, uh, Ehud and his deliverance of Israel from the king of Moab, it's not quite so clear at first sight, is it? For Ehud stands before us apparently in the light of a secret assassin. By deep subtlety and in the disguise of a friend, he gains access to the presence of King Eglon of Moab, the oppressor of Israel. And asking for a private audience, he whispers in his ear the awful secret, I have a message from God to thee. Judges 3 and verse 20. And then swift as the lightning flash, he pierces him to the heart with a hidden dagger and strikes down the life of his country's oppressor. Indeed, a good many commentators have tried to excuse Ehud's act, or at least to exonerate God from all responsibilities for it, by calling attention to the fact that it is not said, as in the case of Othaniel, that the Spirit of God came upon him. They seem to pose to apologize for him or at least to make him responsible for his own act and to leave it at least a doubtful thing. But a candid reader cannot fail to notice that the inspired writer makes no such attempt to evade responsibility, but frankly speaks of Ehud as the deliverer that God raised up to save his people and recognizes his whole career as that of a divine leader and a judge appointed by Almighty God against the evil ones that had taken over their land. How then shall we justify his act of apparent murder? For this was an assassination. He did sneak into the camp of his enemy. He did pretend to be a friend. And when he got up close, he struck him with an assassin's dagger. But sure did the answer is plain from a study of scripture. It was not Ehud's act 
It was not an act of private vengeance or even patriotic fervor. But he gives us the explanation himself in his awful message to Edgar. He was acting as a divinely appointed judge of God. As the executioner of God's sentence against a wicked and condemned man, I have a message from God to thee, Judges 3 and verse 20. This was a message which liberated the people of Israel from their enemies. This was a message which struck down God's enemy. But Ehud did not take it upon himself to do it. It was not a matter of his judgment. He was fulfilling the command of Almighty God. (coughs) Remember, this was an extraordinary time. And the people of Israel had been persecuted for 18 years, oppressed. And you can imagine just how terrible that must have been. They could do anything they want to an enslaved population. Murder, rape, enslavement, anything. What a terrible dark cloud they lived under. Nothing was theirs, not even their own lives. And yet, sadly, even after God delivered them, what happened next? They went back. They backslid yet again. Yes, I have a message from God to thee. It is a solemn word as he suits the, that suits the action to the word and strikes down the bold and impious transgressor at his feet. He was simply acting as the judge upon the bench when he sentences the murderer to his own doom or as the public executioner when he fulfills the decree of the state and takes the life that has been forfeited by law for public crime. There's no doubt Ehud in this acts by divine command. It is his duty to the king, not the king that was their enemy, but Almighty God. And he did it in the divine name so that his victim stands before us as the type of our spiritual oppressor. And he heard as the example of that faith which meets the enemy, not in our own name or strength, but in the name and strength of Almighty God, of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the triumphs in his name. Far too many people forget the actual nature of Almighty God. Yes, he is loving. Yes, he is kind. He is tender-hearted and he is long-suffering. But he is also just. Crimes must be paid for. It is equal for each and every one of us. Those of us living in the gospel the time when the gospel has been preached and proclaimed around the world are living in a blessed age, an age of grace, but it will come to an end. We must grasp onto our Lord. We must follow him with every ounce and fiber of our being. And he must come first before all. So is there not for us an inspiring lesson in this attitude, in that absolute loyalty to the King of Kings, to the King of the universe, to Almighty God. We have seen what happens when people decide to forget about their repentance, when they backslide and go back to their old ways. 
We've seen what happens time and time again. And those are just two examples from the Bible. If you keep reading, it's the story, the whole sorry story, sorry story of the whole of the book of Judges. And you see it in First and Second Kings, in First and Second Chronicles. You see it in First and Second Samuel. You see it in the life of Saul. King Saul was raised up to be a hero. And yet for his 40 years, he started off great. Then he disobeyed God and he ended up in a terrible state, falling upon his own sword before his enemy. None of that had to happen. We see in the next king's reign, in David's reign, David reigned for 40 years. He was not a perfect man either. But at least he repented of his sin. He turned to God. Saul did not. The lessons we learn from the scripture, from the examples set forth for us in the Old Testament, are stark and plain. Do not backslide. Don't go back into that old life. Keep going after the Lord. If you fail, repent, but repent. Don't be full of pride like Saul, but be full of humility like David to turn to God. For God is a just God. He is loving, but he does demand justice. If you want true equal rights, true fairness, you will find it in God's word. And it is there for all, applicable to all. It matters not what your station is, is in life, what your title may or may not be. What matters is, is are you a faithful Christian or are you not? So there are wonderful, inspiring lessons as we read the accounts of the lives of people within the Bible. Is it not our privilege to identify ourselves with God in all that we say and do as Christians? And to go forth in our lives to lives of victory in him and in his name. Is not this the very meaning of that strong expression written by Paul in Colossians 3.17. Whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. And remember we have a wonderful weapon at our hands. We have prayer. Let us identify ourselves with God until it shall not be our prayer but God's prayer in us. That we pray in accordance to his will for the things that he wants. And we shall know that the answer must be given. Let us look at temptation. Let us meet the devil as a conquered foe. And standing in the very person of our victorious Lord, let us say to him, I have a message from God to thee. Remember what happened to Ehud, to, to Eglon? And the same happens to the devil. He must flee from us. Get thee hence, Satan, in the name of Jesus. And in that mighty name we shall cast out demons and tread upon serpents and scorpions and upon all the power of the enemy. You see, when we're called to service to the Lord, it must be complete dedication. There's no room for wavering. There's no room for another before our God. Are we called to speak for our master as, or to our fellow man? Again, let us let it be not our message, but his message. Not our ideas and opinions and pleadings, but the very word from the throne of God himself. 
delivered to man with the authority of God, with God's word. And let us look into their conscience and say in the name of our master, I have a message from God to thee. For is that not what we do when we teach and preach the gospel? It is a message from Almighty God. And our words will be clothed with power. And God willing, those who hear us will be convicted of their sin. Will be convicted of the truth that judgment is coming. This is the true spirit of ministry and service to God. In 1 Peter 4 and verse 11 we read, If any man speak, let him speak as the oracle of God. If any man minister, let him do it as the ability hath, as, uh, do it as the ability that God giveth, that God may in all things be glorified through Jesus Christ. In all things be glorified. The people fell away from God. They turned to their gods, these statues, these idols they worshipped. They hoped that they would get a good answer, a good reply. And what happened? Nothing. For years and years, nothing. But when they turned to the God of their fathers, he raised up a judge who saved them for their enemies. Time and time again. And then there came the great judge. The Lord Jesus Christ, the judge of us all. The world groaning under the rule of Satan and sin, the oppression of darkness, as it was then, so it is today. Things haven't changed that much in the world. Sin is still sin. The devil is still the devil. But when Jesus rose from the dead, he took the rightful rule of this world away from the devil and brought it back to his righteous self. He is the ruler. He is the king. And we must repent of our sins we must turn to him and through him on to victory, on to peace. Backsliding into sin is not an option for us. If we fail, let us repent. Do not be puffed up with pride like Saul. Remember the example of David in Psalm 51 and turn to God. Over in Acts 2.38, Peter said, Repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. Beg your pardon. Repent and be baptized. So you can be forgiven for the remission of your sins so that you can be forgiven of your sins. You see, God is just. As a just and righteous God, he has given us a way to be with him. He has given us a way to repent of our sins. And it is a glorious way. It is a shining way of truth and knowledge in the one who is the very truth personified. In the Lord Jesus. The lessons from the Bible are quite stark. If you turn away from him. Things are going to get bad. If you turn to him. He is full of blessings. And mercy. And forgiveness. But this will only last for as long as we live. In our life. It is possible to turn away from God. After coming so far. And still be lost. What a terrible tragedy that is. What a terrible tragedy it is for Israel. Ancient Israel that had been given that land, that promised land, that beautiful land. They turned against God. And they lost it again and again and again. Let us not lose our salvation. 
Let us not fail to repent, to turn away. In the Hebrew, the word repent means bathshin. The idea of it is to burn down the house of sin. If sin's a family tradition, burn the family tree to the ground. That's how serious the matter is. And then turn to God, for he has sent the greatest redeemer of all. And in him we find peace. What matters is that we're right with God. If you're not a Christian tonight, then I beg you to heed the words of Christ and his apostles, of the word of Almighty God, when we're told to be baptized for the forgiveness of our sins, to repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of our sins. If you've been told that repentance is a work, you've been lied to. If you've been told that baptism is a work, you've been lied to. It is an act of obedience. They both are. And they are required for salvation according to the Holy One of Israel. You can find true justice at no other court. So if you're not a Christian this night, become one while yet you may. And if you are, and you've lost your way. Confess your sins. Repent. And he will save you. Thank you for your attention.